Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see each and every one of you here today. But right now, let's direct our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts toward the Lord as we seek him in prayer. Will you bow your heads together with me? Our Father, we thank you that we can gather together as the people of God and we can let the amen sound again and we can honor and extol and praise you because you are the King of heaven and you are our Redeemer. You are the Lord who has bought us with the price of your own blood, the blood of your Son, and we praise you. Father, we pray that today as we gather together that we would worship you in spirit and in truth because you desire, you seek such worshipers, that we might extol and exalt the Lord Jesus because he is worthy of our praise. In so doing, we might honor you, Father, And we might enjoy the fellowship of the spirit that you have freely given to all who call upon the name of the Lord. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Our call to worship this morning comes from two portions in Luke's gospel. The first is Luke 13, verses 18 through 21. And the second is Luke 17, verses 20 through 21. We begin with Luke 13, verse 18. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven or yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour 
until all of it was leavened. Skipping now to Luke 17, verse 20. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable, or it doesn't come with observation. You're not going to see it. No one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And this is the word of the Lord. This week we are in Luke chapter 8, the first three verses. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Afterward, Jesus was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve, that is the twelve apostles, were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and, and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, uh, to be the steward of Herod meant that you were in control of his finances and resources and household and all of that. I mean, that was an important position. His wife is following Jesus. Susanna and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. I'm sure you have heard the, uh, the expression to stop and smell the roses, Right? I think we've probably all heard that. It was last month. We were in Pittsburgh. My son was competing in the national tournament for American Taekwondo. And we dropped Nate and his mother off at the door of the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. And they carried all the gear inside because they had a lot to carry, right? But uh, me and my mom, we went and we parked the car. And we had to park a little distance from the convention center because it was very crowded that day. So we had a little bit of a walk ahead of us. But as we walked, we made sure to stop here and there and rest, catch our breath. And just so happens, there were some roses growing right there over the wall on the city street. And we stopped and we literally smelled the roses that day. And that's what we're going to do here today. As we've been making our way through Luke's gospel, we're going to pause. We're going to stop. We're going to smell the roses because there are some roses to take in here today. And looking at the passage that we just read, it says, after he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's the phrase that I want to, I want to pause on this morning. Preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, you've probably noticed that little phrase, kingdom of God if you've read through the New Testament at any point in your life. If you've spent any time at all reading the Gospels, you've come across that phrase, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. But did you ever think about what that is? I mean, apparently it was a very big thing because John the baptizer, he came preaching, repent, get ready. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, it's at the door. And then Jesus picked up after John and he was calling people to repent. He said, because the kingdom of God is here. It's arrived. You need to enter into it. What were they preaching about? What is the kingdom of God? That's the rose that we're going to stop 
and smell this morning. What is the kingdom of God? And why is it good news that it should come? What's the kingdom of God? I want to try to give you this morning the scope of the Bible, the big story as I understand it, which means we're not going to be turning to a lot of texts and not spending a lot of time picking verses apart. I want this to be a big picture kind of Sunday. And I'm, I'm hoping that I can, I can get that across very simply to you because I want, I want even the youngest among us here today to be able to understand the idea of the kingdom of God. You know, there was a king who planted a garden and he created two people. And there goes a wasp. You've been tracking him, haven't you? Yeah. Hopefully he finds a good place to rest over there. There was a king, a creator king, who made people and he planted a garden and he put them in it. And this king, he enjoyed, I'm sure he enjoyed, spending time in the garden in the cool of the day, walking and talking with the man and the woman that he made. But we know how that story ended. That went bad. Mankind rebelled. They sinned against their king, their creator. They lost the garden. They got the boot. And then if we continue reading in the story of the Bible, we find out that as more and more people spread across the face of the earth, it didn't get better, it got worse. Mankind grew very violent. Violence filled the earth, the scripture says. And it grieved God that he had made mankind. You know the end of that story. There was a flood of water. Eight souls were saved. Noah and his family were saved in the ark. A new beginning. They get off the ark. Would things go better? Well, the next stop in the story, mankind has refused to spread out across the face of the earth. They said, no, no, no. We're going to stick right here, here on the plains of Shinar. We're going to build a city. We're going to build a tower that will reach unto the heavens. We're not going anywhere. And the Lord came down to see what they were doing there at what we call the Tower of Babel. And you know how that story ends too. The Lord confused their languages and they were forced to spread out upon the face of the earth. Eventually we come to the story of Abram. Abram is a man that God called. God was starting over once again. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless you. And through your seed, and we know who he's talking about there because the Bible later on spells it out very clearly for us. The seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. Through your seed, all of the nations of mankind are going to be blessed. I'm calling you for a purpose to bless all nations, Abram. And eventually his name gets changed to Abraham. And you know how he and Sarah have a son named Isaac. And then Isaac has Jacob and Esau, right? And then God chooses Jacob, changes his name to Israel. He's got 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. They end up in Egypt in slavery, but then the Lord delivers them in the time of Moses, brings them out, and he says, I'm gonna give you the land of Canaan to be your possession. Okay, we're all on the same page, right? Along the way, in the time of Moses, we read this interesting passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And some of you are going to remember, I've talked about it before, where it says that the Lord appointed the nations according to the number of the sons of God. That's the best text, what it says. Sons of God just being an ancient Hebrew way of saying 
divine supernatural beings. So we would probably say angels, but they weren't exactly angels. But the idea was that God had placed the nations of mankind under the supernatural oversight of these supernatural beings, the quote-unquote sons of God. But the text says that the Lord retained one nation for himself. You want to guess which nation that was? Israel, right? God retained one nation, and he chose Israel. He says himself, not because you were a great and mighty people. I chose you because you were the least of all people. God chose Israel, not to the exclusion of all others, but for the blessing of all others. Because remember what God's promise was to Abram. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And in your seed, all of the nations of mankind will be blessed. So God has chosen one nation for himself, not to the exclusion of all others, but for the blessing of all others. God chooses Israel. But if we keep reading in that story, we find out that things went bad. Number one, these supernatural entities that have been placed over the nations, they didn't do a good job. They rebelled and they received worship for themselves and they led the people, the nations of mankind, into immorality and idolatry. But maybe Israel would be different, right? Because Israel has the law of the Lord. Israel has the prophets of God. Surely Israel will do better. But they didn't. If you read the Bible, you know the story. Israel repeatedly, time after time, turned away from the Lord went after the idols of the nations, worshiped and served demons rather than the creator. The prophets of the Lord warned them over and over again to return to the Lord, repent, turn to the Lord, turn away from idols, turn away from your sins. Eventually, the Lord judged his own kingdom, Israel. He used the man that we talked about earlier to do it. He used Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. It happened in a series of waves. The first wave came through and took out the very best, the cream of the crop that Israel had to offer. Young men like Daniel and his friends, royalty, were taken back to Babylon as captives and they were trained in the ways of Babylon. But then other captives were taken out. And then eventually, when the city of Jerusalem rebelled and revolted against Babylon, well, that's when the siege armies came, laid siege to the city, ended up destroying the walls, destroyed the temple, and relocated almost everyone. Total destruction, total war. That's how it all ended. Exactly how the prophets of the Lord had warned them that it would end. But there was a promise The Lord said, I'm going to bring back a remnant, a piece, a part. After 70 years, I'm going to bring a remnant back to the land. And I'm going to bless you here. And the Lord made good on his word. There was a remnant that returned to the land. And they set up shop again. And things did go a bit better. But you know what? They were never a self-ruling, autonomous people after that. No, they were ruled over. They had been ruled over by Babylon. Then they were ruled over by Persia. Then they were ruled over by the various Greek kingdoms. And then in the time of Christ, they were ruled over by the Romans. They weren't governing themselves anymore. And only a remnant had ever returned. 
The people of Israel were scattered far and wide. The prophet Ezekiel spoke about this scattering in the 37th chapter. Ezekiel 37, he talks about this promise that the Lord is going to regather all of his people from all of the nations and he's going to bring them into his kingdom. And if you were a Jew living at the time of Christ, you would have said, when's that going to happen? How can that even possibly happen? It's like taking a handful of sand and mixing it in with all of the sand on the seashore and saying, I'm going to bring every single one of those grains of sand back in. How will the Lord do this? How is it possible? And furthermore, what about all of the nations of mankind that the Lord disinherited at the Tower of Babel? and said, I'm keeping Israel for myself. But now Israel was pretty much ruined too, right? That would have been your perspective in the time of Christ. I love your kingdom, Lord, but where's your kingdom, Lord? You who had ruled over all the nations of mankind, but you disinherited the nations. You kept one for yourself, but they rebelled. They were unfaithful. You judged them. You scattered them. Now what, Lord? What of your kingdom? And it's in those days that a man wearing a rough garment made of camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, living in the wilderness, preaching down by the Jordan River where there's water to baptize people, a man named John says, get ready. It's here. It's right at hand. Repent, change your mind, change the way you're living because the kingdom of God is at hand. Get ready for it because the one who's coming after me is so much greater than I am, not only greater in person, but greater in station, greater in mission. I'm not even worthy to get down on my knees and do the lowest, most menial job of the lowest, most worthless servant. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandal from off his foot. That's how great he is. I am washing you with water for repentance. You are acknowledging that you need to change your mind and change your way of life to get ready for the one who's coming after me. And I'm washing you with water as a symbol of your recognition of that fact that you need to change. But the one who comes after me, oh, he's got his own washing that he's going to do. And the washing that he does is with the Holy Spirit and with the fire of judgment. And those are the two options that you, my generation, will be presented with. You will either enter into the kingdom through repentance and you will receive the Spirit of God. Or you will be judged and you will be treated the same way that stubble from the hayfield gets treated. You're going to get burned up in judgment. Because just like judgment fell long ago during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, judgment is coming again. Yes, all of that was wrapped up in John's message. And then one day, John's there at the water's edge and he sees a man go walking by and he points him out to his disciples and he says, look, students, look, right there. There he is. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And two of those students of John left him and went and followed him. They followed Jesus, the one who was coming after. They followed the king. And Jesus picks up the message. He says, repent. The kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is here. So what about this kingdom of God? 
What is going on? You remember what we talked about with the young people earlier. You all listened in, I hope, and you heard about that king's dream, about the statue, head of gold, shoulders, arms of silver, the, 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 the body of, of bronze and the legs of iron, the feet of iron mixed with clay, and then the stone that had been cut without human agency, without hands, the stone that crushed the statue, the kingdoms of mankind. Grounded into powder, the wind carried it away, and the stone grew into a mountain. God's kingdom filled the earth in the king's dream, in the king's vision. God's kingdom. And Daniel told him, this kingdom is forever. It will have no end. Why would that be? Could it be because the king is forever and has no end? King Jesus, the one who fulfilled the prophecy that had been given to the king that Daniel interpreted. The kingdoms of the earth would bow down and pass away as God's kingdom filled the earth. And Jesus said it was there. It was time. It was ready to happen in his day. That's the big story. The king came to bring the kingdom. And he said that people were entering into the kingdom back then in his day. And it's still the same. People are still entering in to God's kingdom. Three reasons I want to give you this morning why this news that Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God was good news then and is good news today for each one of us. Number one, the kingdom, it's lasting. It's permanent. You remember the dream and the interpretation of it? The kingdom of God would have no end. There weren't going to be any hiccups along the way. There wasn't going to be any cessation. The kingdom would be eternal. It was lasting. Secondly, the kingdom was going to come with an arrangement. Now, now the church word for this is covenant, right? You've heard that word before, right? Covenant. God made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai and gave them the law through Moses, covenant. But the word literally means arrangement. What was the law of Moses? What was that covenant all about, that arrangement? It was an arrangement whereby sinful people could approach God and worship him. And God had lots of rules and regulations. He says, if you're going to approach me and worship me, you've got to do this, this, that, and the other thing too. I think there were like 740 of them or 630. I forget numbers. They don't stick. But there were a bunch of things they had to do. That was the old arrangement. The prophets of the Lord had spoken of a new arrangement that was coming. I, I have to read these passages to you. Ezekiel 37, verses 26 through 28. Ezekiel 37, 26 through 28. I will make a covenant, an arrangement of peace with them. It will be a permanent arrangement with them. I will establish and multiply them and will set my sanctuary, my dwelling place among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. When my holy place is among them forever, the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. I make Israel holy. <coughs> Pardon me. 
a close contemporary of Ezekiel was the prophet Jeremiah. He also spoke of a new arrangement. Is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, a new arrangement with the house of Judah, this arrangement will not be like the one I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. It's not going to be like the law of Moses. That was my covenant, my arrangement that they broke, even though I am their master. This is the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the arrangement I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This, again, is the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. These words were spoken to people who already had an arrangement with the Lord. They had the law of Moses. And the Lord says, that's going away. The days are coming when I will make a new arrangement with Israel. I will not remember their sins anymore. I will write my laws on their heart. I will dwell in their midst and I will be their God and they will be my people. A new arrangement was coming, a new covenant. The writer of the book of Hebrews picked up this idea from these Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and he spent many chapters talking about this new arrangement and why it was so much better than the old arrangement. So much better because it fits us. It works for us. The old arrangement, it had a priesthood. There were human priests who served. They made sacrifices for sin so that people could draw near and worship the Lord. But each one of those priests was a flawed human being. They had to make sacrifices for their own sins too. And they didn't live forever. Eventually, they, like anyone else, a priest would die, and then a new priest would take over. That was the old arrangement. The writer of Hebrews makes the point that the new arrangement is fitting because we have a priest who lives forever. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, always lives so that we can draw near to God through him. Jesus didn't need to offer sacrifice for his sin. Why? He was sinless. He's able to do the job so much better than the old priests under the old arrangement could. Under the old arrangement, everything had to be just so, and you could only get so close. But under the new arrangement, Jesus has done it all. And you can enter in. You can enjoy the fruit of Christ's work. And you can draw close to God. You can draw near to him. And you can do it with confidence and with boldness. Without worry. Without fear that drives you away. The only fear you need to bring with you is the awestruck, reverential fear of getting to be in the presence of your maker. It's a wonderful thing. This is a fitting arrangement 
So God's kingdom, it's lasting, it's fitting, it fits us, and it's effective. It works. This is the third and final. God's kingdom is effective. The writer of Hebrews mentioned that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. I mean, we know that, right? Killing an animal doesn't do anything to make us right with God. Blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sins. But Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, who died on the cross for our sins, oh, that's effective. It works. And the Lord receives all who come to him through, him, through Jesus, placing their confident trust in him. This kingdom is eternal. It's lasting. It's fitting. It works for us. It's effective. That's why we can love the kingdom of God. That's why this was good news. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he said, the kingdom of God is here. Enter in. It's time. What about all of Israel being scattered? We talked about Ezekiel's prophecy, chapter 37. All of Israel was scattered, but God's going to bring them all back. That's what God was doing in the days of Jesus and the apostles. He was bringing all of the Israelites back in. You say, not every Israelite believed. That's true. Not every Israelite by birth believed. But it's not by natural birth. Even John the Baptist indicated as much. John told the people who were coming to his washing down at the Jordan, he said, don't you think for a second to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham for our father. John said, God can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. It's not according to DNA. It's not about genetics. It's not about family trees and lineages and ancestry. In the days of Jesus and the apostles, God was bringing spiritual Israel into the kingdom. And guess what? A lot of them ended up being Gentiles because the good news went out to them too. And they came streaming in. And it's still happening today. The testimony of the apostles and the Lord is still having an impact in our world. And it's growing bigger and bigger all the time. As the kingdom of God grows, people enter in and the kingdom grows some more. Have you entered in to God's kingdom? It's a lasting kingdom. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. We're receiving a kingdom, a kingdom that has no end. But have you entered into it? Have you repented of sin? Have you placed confident trust in the Savior that God provided? Have you entered into that kingdom? I trust that you have. But having entered in, have you got wrapped up in things and you forgot that there's still people on the outside who need to enter in? Are you praying for them? Are you witnessing to them? Are you living your life in such a way that they can see that you are enjoying the full benefits and fruits of Christ's work? I hope you are. Are you telling others about this kingdom? Anyone can enter in at any time. It's not an exclusive club. The doors are wide open. Uh, John, who wrote Revelation, spoke of the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. He says, that city has gates, but they're not shut, not even at nighttime. The nations of mankind can stream into the city of God. But not anything that's unclean, not anything that offends, 
Who can come into the city of God? Only those who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Only those who've been sanctified and made holy by the work of Jesus Christ, by placing their confident trust in him. I trust, I hope, and I pray that that's you today. If it isn't, change that. And don't wait on anyone to change it for you. That's up to you. If you want to be in the kingdom, you have to enter in. You have to place your confident trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then get inside. And to the rest of us who are inside, start pulling some people in. Start living your life in such a way that they can see you're enjoying all of the fruits of Christ's hard work. Pull some people into the kingdom and let's watch it grow and fill the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your kingdom. I trust that every one of us can, can truly say, as we sang earlier, I love your kingdom, Lord. It is so good. It's good because it lasts. It's good because it fits us. It's good because it's effective. It makes us acceptable through Christ's work on our behalf. It makes us acceptable to you so that we can draw near to you. We don't need priests. We don't need idols. We don't need all of the trappings that come with religion that mankind has relied upon so many times, so many ways through so many years to try to approach you. None of that is needed. The only thing necessary is Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, ever living, making intercession for us so that we can draw near to you with bold confidence, not fearing your frown, but fully expecting your cheerful smile. And that's all because of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for our King. We thank you for our kingdom. May it ever grow and expand. May we not fail to enter into it. May we not neglect to bring others. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our Lord and King. Amen. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Spirit, which all who call upon the name of the Lord enjoy, be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever. <laughs>